It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Of course, everything Destination Devi over at DestinationDevi.com. And a new feature. Uh, we now have a premium pod feed for all of the extra Discord content. You are getting up to five shows a week that are in the Discord only. You have to be subscribed to the Destination 5 or the Dynasty Trades in 5 tier on the Patreon to get access to that, but a new perk. So if you're over there, you get access to the Monday Morning Drive with Shane, the Wednesday AMA with Ray, the Saturday Night AMA with Shane and I. And usually that goes into detail on a lot of the stuff uh, that has happened throughout the week and a lot of the strategy stuff heading into Sunday. And then, of course... Once Sunday happens, there is a whole new set of dynasty analysis to take place. So you'll get access to that. Subscribe to one of those tiers. You'll get access to that RSS feed, which you can download. And that's on top of all the content that you already get on the Destination Devi feed, which if you are hearing this, obviously you're subscribed to that. And the Wake Up feed. There is other content on the Wake Up show that includes Destination Chill that Ray and I put out every Thursday morning. That includes the Dynasty Different show that is hosted by Clay of Trades in 5, talking about content creation, talking about how other people in the space run their Dynasty channels, create their Dynasty content, and also how they play the Dynasty game. And that will usually come out on Saturdays and more bonus content to come. So make sure you're subscribed Check out DestinationDevy.com for that, and make sure you subscribe to all of those feeds. In tonight's show, what I'm going to do is I'm recording this near the end of the Sunday night game, and it hasn't been much of a Sunday night game, but I've been thinking all day about what I want to cover tonight. There's been so much that has happened in week eight uh, that I want to give my personal takes on, but there's going to be so much analysis out there over the next couple days on what to do with a lot of the injuries. It was very interesting because I went through today and we had all 32 teams play this week. Uh, First time since, I believe, week four. It won't happen again until week 12. And then after that, it'll be the fantasy playoffs before we have all of the teams playing in a given week. So I went into this week going, you know what? I actually noticed that the day trading market this week was pretty silent. There were a lot of teams that didn't have needs. There were a lot of teams that were able to set a full competitive lineup, assuming that they wanted to, without needing to buy spot starts, without needing to buy spot start running backs, fill in quarterbacks. It just felt like this was a week that didn't have a lot of activity. I don't know if others felt that as well, Uh, but it's partially because we had all the teams that were playing this week. We also had very few injuries. Sure, there were some players that were out for the season or players that were on IR, but largely we had probably 90 to 95% of the fantasy relevant players. If we're just talking start 11 lineup leagues, we had a lot of the players that were active. There were some players that were banged up. There were a couple scratches that happened today that somebody might have had in a lineup, but for the most part, Everyone was available. So this was a week to have a good week. This was a week where teams that needed points to catch back up probably could have got them. Uh, This was a week where the scores 
in general are likely to be a little bit higher. Just looking through my leagues, I haven't gone through and done the math, but it appears that this week the scoring is going to be a little bit higher than it has on the aggregate for the season through seven weeks before this. And today was a week that you could have definitely gained some ground, but there's always a but. Things like this never last that long. Obviously, we're going to have a lot more bye weeks coming in the few weeks ahead. Four teams on bye next week. We have four teams on bye in week 10, four teams on bye in week 11. So there's going to be some attrition, and there were clearly some injuries. And typically, this is not the show that I want to cover. Okay, what am I doing with this injured player? Or what am I doing with this market value? I mean, I don't want to use this show as that. That's not what Destination Dynasty has always been. And it's never what it's going to be. It's not going to be a recap show. It's not going to be a show where I give my opinions on this market or what to do with this injured player. So I don't want to dive too much into that. However, uh, it's pertinent to make this a talking point before we get into tonight's episode, which is going to talk about the Trinity. I mentioned the website, DestinationDevy.com. There is the new tool that just came out this week, and it is called the Trinity Tool talking all about wide receivers, production, and how to navigate the market. And I'm going to do my introduction on how I'm going to be starting to use the Trinity tool for the rest of the season. And there's going to be a lot more content that's talked about on DD with the Trinity tool. Ray and I are going to talk more about it. I'm sure some of the other content creators are going to weigh in as well. Uh, But it's a new tool. It's filtering a lot of different information. There's a lot that's being thrown at you. There's a lot of numbers. And I think it's important to kind of give a high-level overview of how I'm going to be using it. And I'll probably do a couple follow-up episodes uh, diving into some niche parts of it. How to play the market as a buyer or seller. How to liquidate. How to pivot. You know, all of those things where you can zoom in a little bit more and say, this is what I'm looking for. But I'm going to do a high-level overview of how I'm going to be using the tool, things to look for. Uh, And maybe I'll dive a little bit deep into a couple moves that I'll be making this week using the tool, because it's really the first week that we've really had the ability to test it and run it and look at it and then go play on the market. And I don't think last week was a great week to play the market for what I already said, because every team felt like they were ready to kind of just roll. Everyone was healthy, but that's going to change. So before we get into the Trinity tool, we have to react to the quarterback injuries. And something that I've been talking about, I've been hinting over the last couple episodes that I'm going to reform the roster construction series. And one of the things that I have noticed myself doing this year in lineup leagues specifically, best ball, it's a different story. In best ball, you really can't afford to roster backup quarterbacks at a high percentage only because they're automatic zeros for the most part. I mean, there's an occasional time where a backup QB will come into a game like Taylor Heineke today. Uh, and give you some points. But from a best ball perspective, you don't want to be rostering backup QBs. But we've seen thus far this year, after this weekend, we've had now 43 quarterbacks that have started a game. And now we have a couple quarterbacks that have gone down, the big one being Kirk Cousins tearing his Achilles. I mean, listen, I've always been a Kirk Cousins fan. I've always defended Kirk Cousins as being better than what the national media or a lot of regular fans, spectators, etc., give him credit for. Uh, and largely, he's just being judged on the fact that he hasn't won. He really hasn't won in the playoffs. You know, he hasn't got it done on the big stage. And quite honestly, he hasn't had many teams that have really been able to even get him there. But you can also say if wins are a quarterback stat, then he deserves some responsibility for not having as many as other QBs, falling short where other QBs have succeeded. But he tears his Achilles. It's brutal timing. It's honestly 
couldn't have been worse timing for the Vikings. They've won three games in a row. They're now four and four. They have a 62% chance now to make the playoffs, yet it's not really 62% because they've lost their QB for the season. It's a torn Achilles. We've already gone through this with Aaron Rodgers. Not exactly the same situation because the timing is obviously different. The timing changed the trajectory of the Jets season from the get-go, whereas now the Vikings, after winning three in a row, have to totally pivot. And it's unfortunate for two reasons. One, for the Vikings, they won three in a row. And we all kind of thought the Vikings weren't going to sign Kirk Cousins back. They weren't interested in bringing him back. There really hadn't been buzz about any sort of extension with Kirk Cousins. And you felt, okay, they're going to be a team that tries to tank for a QB. They went one and four. They shut down really any rumors that they were going to quote unquote tank. Justin Jefferson then gets hurt and boom. Now they don't want to move Kirk Cousins. They win three in a row. Looks like they can get right back in it, which honestly they can, the way they've been playing and the way that the Packers have looked and the Bears have looked in their division. I mean, truthfully, the NFC is wide open after a couple teams. So again, 62% chance of making the playoffs, but now they lose Kirk Cousins. So their season is over. They're not going to win without Kirk Cousins. At the same time, if they were going to lose Kirk Cousins anyway, almost would have been better off for this to happen when they were one and four. And it could have been an excuse for them to say, you know what, we're going to retool for next year. Boom, we'll make a run in 2024, starting in 2024 with whoever we're going to get. But at that point, you would have to figure their draft pick would be significantly high. Now they're in no man's land. Now they're probably going to end up with at least five wins, six wins, still have no answers next year, but likely cost themselves a top five pick because they've won these three games. I mean, he still won the game today. They almost blew it, but they were up 24-3 when he got injured. So it's not like they had a chance to say, well, you know what, we're going to pack it in. So it's just a real tough thing for the Vikings. But at the same time, it would have worked out for them if this injury would have happened when they were 1-4. and four. And they could have said, you know what, fate said wasn't meant to be, we're going to move on. Makes it easy for them to decide on Kirk Cousins next year. Assuming they can't get him back for half the money he would have been able to command. Because here's the thing, Kirk Cousins was having an awesome season, one of his better seasons thus far. And given what guys like Derek Carr got paid and Daniel Jones got paid, he was probably going to price himself out of a lot of teams' range to be able to sign him. But now, does this make him a candidate to return to the Vikings on a cheaper price, on a one-year deal, half of what he might have been paid? I don't know. I don't know his plans. He's made plenty of money over the last seven years, so you never know what he's willing to accept. Will he sit out a year? You never know. I mean, is this a guy that really wants to come back and test the open market coming off an injury like this, or is he willing to take a one-year prove-it deal? I have no clue, but it sucks for him, given that he was going to hit the market in a robust QB time, where he probably would have been able to get another two- or three-year deal similar to what Derek Carr got, probably more probably more than what Daniel Jones got. Now it's going to be a short-term deal, you know, probably like a two-year deal, but I could have easily seen him getting a two-year $85 million deal, two-year $90 million deal. And maybe not fully guaranteed, but you never know. If it's a two-year deal, it's all but guaranteed as long as you're going to remain on the roster. So it's very, very difficult for this timing with Cousins, but also with the Vikings. Now they're really in no man's land. They're going to turn to Jaron Hall probably in the short term. Nick Mullins is eligible to come off the IR in a couple weeks. And the reason I wanted to bring it up, because it's not just Cousins, obviously he has the Achilles tear. Let's just do a real quick recap of Cousins' value in Dynasty. Minuscule. Minuscule. It's Aaron Rodgers' value when he got injured. A third round pick. I'd probably buy for a third. 
given what we're seeing with Rodgers and his Achilles injury, I mean, there's a shot that Cousins comes back. But again, this is two months after Rodgers' injury. So just to say, oh, he's going to for sure be back next year and be fine, I don't know about that. There's a lot of wrinkles that could take place to where I'm not comfortable being like, you know what, I'm just going to buy him for a second. He was probably a guy you would have trouble selling for a first before this anyway. Now he's going to hit free agency. You don't know what offense he's going to be in. The Kevin O'Connell offense has been very friendly for him. So that's a negative. He's coming off this injury. And the reality is he was not a desirable asset anyway. The team that had him always said he's more valuable when I have him versus what I can trade him for. And now that trade value is cooked. So if you can get a second for Kirk Cousins, I'm fine doing it. If you can buy for a third, sure. But I think what this is going to do is this is going to have a fallout that is even bigger than just one quarterback getting injured because two reasons. One, it's a guy that was a top 12 QB from a production standpoint, but it was also an injury to a player that most likely had the mindset or the dynasty manager that had Kirk Cousins on their team had the mindset of, you know what, I can just get by with him. Maybe as my QB one in some scenarios, but for a lot of teams, QB two, and they really didn't care to go pay up for that second elite QB. They didn't necessarily care about go drafting Bryce Young at 103 in the rookie draft. Now, maybe they have extra QB depth, but you're going to see a lot of teams. I just started jotting through the leagues where I have cousins, but more importantly, the leagues where other teams have cousins. And I looked at a couple rosters and a lot of them are built like I have Kirk Cousins and I have Jared Goff. I have Kirk Cousins and maybe I have Trevor Lawrence. Maybe I have Lamar Jackson. You know, like they basically have Cousins as their QB too. They didn't prioritize pain for that position, and they were willing just to kind of ride his production because he's been a damn top 12 quarterback year after year after year. They're willing just to ride it until it goes away. And it was looking like the way that he was playing this year, that wasn't going to go away. It was going to continue, and it was going to be giving him another shot next year, probably a two-year deal, I would have guessed. And all of a sudden, that's gone. That security is gone, but the mindset of this person that had Kirk Cousins and what he represented to their team, that's gone. So now you have a team that is going, all right, I really didn't value UQB to begin with, and hopefully I have a third QB to slide in, but we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But this is probably also a team where it was a little fragile to begin with. And now what do you do? What if you're six and one? Probably going to be seven and one since Cousins had 28 points before he got injured today. But you're seven and one and you just lost him. And your other QB might be somebody okay. You know, maybe it's Dak Prescott. Maybe it's Trevor Lawrence. You know, someone like that where you're pretty confident that they're going to hold their job. But now you're going, damn, I already built a team that was fragile at QB. And how do I get out of it? Because most likely the teams like that, especially the ones that have been built over the last couple of years, probably are loaded at other skill positions. Maybe they have an elite tight end. Maybe they have an elite running back. Maybe they have extra wide receiver capital, but they're probably not going to want to disrupt that to get another QB. So what do you do? How do you go about replacing Kirk Cousins? Do you go out there and just buy other replacement QBs? Because here's the thing, the difference between losing a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence, someone like that to an injury, even if it's season long, or going to cost you a chunk of the season, you know when the offseason gets here, they will go right back to the spot that they occupied before the injury. So you can scope out 
how long you're going to kind of plan for this disruption in your roster construction. Here, there's a chance Cousins never goes back to that. He never occupies that same spot. He might get back to a point where he is a starting quarterback, but can you just slot in the same production that you got? New offense coming off a serious injury? You can't say that. So there is no automatic return to what he was just when the injury is over. That's the difference. There's no floor. And especially, there's no value floor. Even if you lost a guy like Anthony Richardson for the season, there's still a value floor. Now, maybe you had to sell at 85 90% what his market price was, but you could sell him. As soon as we get to the spring, he will return right back to that spot that he occupied on your roster before the injury. So with that, that is one of the benefits that you don't see when you're paying a first-round startup pick for an elite QB and you're paying a third- or fourth-round startup pick for the Jared Goffs or the Kirk Cousins because those guys have no floor. And it's not that they can't go back and score points, but they have no flexibility floor, meaning you are only banking, oh, they got hurt, they have to come back and produce how they were. They don't count in a trade. Cousins doesn't even move the needle in a trade. Someone can say, hey, I'll sell you Geno Smith, and I want a first. And you have to really weigh, man, do I want to give up a first for Geno Smith? Probably a QB that was a little worse than Kirk Cousins to begin with, but that's what's available. And that's the price. And the person has you bent over a barrel. You don't have the ability to negotiate. And then you go, hey, I'll throw in Kirk Cousins in the deal. Does that sweeten the pot at all? No, that's okay. Yeah, he counts as maybe a third. Sure, you can throw him in. I'll take him. Yeah, I'll sell you Geno Smith for a first. I'll take Kirk Cousins. I'll give you a third back. Maybe I'll give you a running back back. That's fine. You can throw him in. But he doesn't really count as any equity in the deal. You're trading Anthony Richardson. For Joe Burrow, you're probably getting 70% of the trade value that you're giving goes in the form of Anthony Richardson. You don't get that if you're moving off Cousins. And that's one of the things that people overlook when they're playing in this gross QB2 range. The dead zone, Ray and I talked about this on Destination Chill the other night. Part of what you lose is there is no floor. The floor is, are they usable? And when the answer to that question is no, you got nothing. So that's the problem that Cousins managers are running into, and they've probably embraced that idea and been fine with it, and now they're stuck. So there's going to be a lot of chatter of how to navigate the waters, and it's not just Cousins. Matt Stafford suffered a thumb injury. We're still trying to figure out how long that's going to be, uh, but if that's something that lasts a couple weeks, a month, something like that, I know Jeff had been speculating that it could have been maybe a UCL injury. He's had an injury like that before. Who knows? But that could be one where if he's out a month, another guy you have to replace. And again, Matt Stafford will probably return. It's not like he has a serious injury like the Achilles. But if he's going to miss a month, the person that had Matt Stafford as their QB2 is probably sitting there going, yeah, they're in a similar boat as if they lost Kirk Cousins. It's just not going to be as long term. But they're probably constructing in a way where, man, that is a blow. So now they have to go replace him. Same with Kenny Pickett. Now, maybe he's a little bit below that rung because he really hasn't been productive, but an injury for Kenny Pickett may cost him a couple weeks. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones may actually return, but we're not sure about that. But even his backup, Tyrod Taylor, got injured. So right there, somebody else that people may have been having fill in for a month. 
is probably going to be out for a little while. He had to go to the hospital with fractured ribs. So unlikely that if Daniel Jones comes back, that's another quarterback situation that you probably don't want to mess with. Uh, I mean, the Vikings, I mean, sure, you can pick up Jaron Hall. Nick Mullins probably is the guy you want to pick up. Tommy DeVito, I don't know if I really want to pick him up. Brett Rippon, I have a ton of Brett Rippon in Dynasty. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because one thing that I've noticed, and I talked about this like 10 minutes ago, and of course I got way off tangent, is I think the way that we're going, now that 43 quarterbacks have started games, and we're going to get at least two more next week, if not three or four more that start games next week, picking up the backup quarterbacks, even if they're just occupying roster spots, what I have found and this is going to be crucial in the new roster construction series, is how to navigate the backup QBs, how valuable they are in your league, both from a usability standpoint, but also a market standpoint. And what I mean by that is, is it an active league? Is it deep enough to where teams are willing to throw out a third round pick for a spot start? You could sell Tyrod Taylor for a third round pick. You could sell Josh Dobbs for a third round pick. P.J. Walker, Tyson Badgen. There's been a ton of examples. Is it an active market like that? And then I think the most important thing, the most important thing is looking at the war tool, looking at the scoring, really trying to understand, and we talked about this the other night on the Saturday MA, understanding the scoring in your league, understanding how much quarterbacks contribute from a war perspective on average, and go back and look at the three-year history to kind of get an idea. But run your league through the war tool, look at the three-year history, and go look at where the quarterback equilibrium point is, where it intersects with the other position. And that gives you a rough baseline of really where you want to be when you're starting to QB, both from a quote-unquote dynasty standpoint, but also from just a weekly standpoint. And I've seen leagues where it intersects with the other positions, QB 16, QB 17, which basically says, I don't really want the QBs below that line. Even if I have a starter, you're starting to question, do I really want to start QB 31 Tyson Badgett over a wide receiver, over a running back? You know, when there's some depressed QB scoring, which is typically what you see when the war graph looks like that, you have to make that decision and you have to probably look at it very much with a, if this QB, I don't think he can finish in the top 20, you have to consider, do you really want to start him? Now, is the floor a little bit higher? Are you likely to get eight points from a quarterback? In a lot of circumstances, yes. But if you're telling me, oh man, they're probably going to get me around 10 or 11 points, you almost might as well take your shot on another position if you have one that's strong enough. So understand that and then also look at your league. I'm in some leagues where the quarterback's from 1 to 24, basically dominate the players at the other positions all the way down the war graph. In those leagues, you probably always want to be starting a quarterback in the super flex spot, unless you just are loaded at the other spots. If you have five receivers inside the top 20 or something like that, then okay. But if you don't have that, you probably want to always be starting even QB 27, Josh Dobbs, in your super flex. Regardless of whether they're good or not, the quarterback scoring should bring the numbers up enough to where you're like, I'm always going to start a QB. So it's important to know your league and understand where the quarterbacks are relative to the other positions, but also understand the market. Know your league and then know the market. I have some teams where 
I'm just hoarding a ton of backup QBs. Right now, on average, in my lineup leagues, I will just say this, I am rostering, on average, over nine quarterbacks per league in my lineup leagues. And that is simply because I have noticed this, and maybe this is just my league, but I want to hear from people if they've noticed this in their leagues as well. As the any running back on a 53 strategy has become more prevalent, and I'm not going to take credit for that necessarily. It's been something that's been in the works for a couple years now. But as that strategy has become more prevalent, what I've noticed is this. One, there's more teams that are roster constructing a little more efficiently, which means there's more teams that are hoarding more running backs. A lot of the backup running backs that you used to say, oh, that guy got elevated from the practice squad or that guy got signed as a free agent and now he's on an active 53-man roster. You could usually go through and add 20 to 25 shares to those players if you had 50 leagues. Now, it's a little less. Now, there's a lot of times the players are already rostered, and they're buried. They're buried on someone's bench, but you can tell. You can look at a team, and you go, yeah, that guy's carrying seven backup running backs. You know, that person is carrying a bunch of deadweight running backs. They're still rostering guys like Ronald Jones, Daryl Williams, Kenyon Drake. Like, they haven't even cut those types. Now, that's inefficient if you don't think the guy can ever make a team or get on a roster. But you're noticing that people are less likely to just cut those guys when they're not playing. You know, when the fourth running back on a team is not active on game day, people don't just cut them. Even if it's a crusty running back, you got, they just need a chance. You know, Melvin Gordon is still being rostered in a ton of leagues. Now, will he ever get another shot? Who knows? Probably not. But the point is, he's being held on to. Less people are rostering way too many tight ends. Less people in lineup leagues are rostering some of the clogger receivers. I've noticed this year, even in leagues where there's 30, 32-man rosters, Allen Robinson on waivers, Juju Smith-Schuster on waivers, a couple times the Chiefs receivers on waivers, saw McCole Hardman dropped this week. I've seen some MBSs dropped. Like, those types used to never be players you'd find on waivers. Well, because, you know what, they were playing. But then you really do an examination and go, man, am I start 11, 30-man roster lineup league? Why am I rostering Juju Smith-Schuster? When am I ever going to play him? Even if he has a good game, there's no dynasty value. Why would I roster him? So you see people actually cut those players more often than not. And what are they rostering instead? Running backs. And then what's happening when half the teams in your league are taking in any running back on a 53 strategy? Well, all the running backs are eating up, even the practice squad guys. You go and you go, man, a guy like Mercado should have been available in every league. No, well, you know what? There, there were some people. I had 20 shares already. I already had him in tons of leagues. Even Daryl Henderson, who I actually had cut a bunch down to like five or six teams. But I had had him in probably 15. And I just slowly started cutting him when other guys emerged. But even then... I had him on five or six leagues before he got signed. Then he gets signed and you're like, wow, okay, it's found money. I can go pick up some more because he was available in probably half the other leagues. But all of a sudden you go, it's very easy to go and pick up 10, 12 of those guys. But it used to be easier. You used to be able to just eat that up. People wouldn't even bother to fish in that range. Why would I ever pick up a free agent running back, Daryl Henderson? No way I'll ever play him. But as more people take this strategy, more likely those guys are going to be triggered and be picked up or they're already on rosters. So to my full circle point, and I know I'm almost 30 minutes in and I haven't talked about the Trinity at all, but 
what I've noticed is the market, because there's more teams doing this, the market hasn't been as strong for the spot start running backs. A, there hasn't been as many injuries. There's been some, but not as many. But B, I've also noticed that people are willing to essentially just start some of those guys when they're playing that way. What I've done is I've looked in leagues during weeks, hey, does anybody need to buy this Daryl Henderson? Does anybody need to buy this spot start running back? And I've sold some. I've probably made 25 of those deals in the first eight weeks of the season. So they exist. They've been able to sell those, but we're talking 50 leagues. Lineup leagues, we're talking 40 plus lineup leagues. And I've only made 25 or so of those deals. And I've bought a couple too. Some of those have been buys. Some of those have been deals where I buy the spot start running back. But I've also noticed that I haven't been willing to do it as frequently, which makes it interesting to talk about roster construction and the strategy going forward. Because I've almost sat here and questioned myself going, man, what have I spent the majority of picks on this year, or at least at the same rate as running backs? And the answer is quarterbacks. I bought a couple Tyson Badgents. I bought a couple Josh Dobbs. I bought a couple Tyrod Taylors. Now I've had some where I get those guys for free, but I've had some injuries at QB where I go, you know what? I'm willing to actually buy a spot start QB. I bought a Gardner Minshew. And I know that's a little bit of a longer term move for the rest of the season, but I've noticed myself going, there's some times where I'm actually buying the QBs instead. And because the running back strategy has worked, I've been less apt to buy some of the spot start running backs when I have Daryl Henderson today. Like I know this is a week where there weren't any bye weeks, but let's just say I had Daryl Henderson available and I had just lost a running back that I didn't have available. And someone says, I'll sell you this running back, Kareem Hunt, for a third. And I go, well, I have Daryl Henderson on my bench. Is that worth me paying the third for Kareem Hunt instead of starting Daryl Henderson? When I probably look at him and go, I'm good. I'll just start Daryl Henderson. Understanding that either one of them is just throw it in there and pray for sunshine, but I have no incentive to give up the draft pick. So the whole idea of saving these draft picks for buying spot starts, saving thirds, saving seconds, it's there to bail you out. But I've also noticed when you roster construct in a way that is going to hedge against some of the negatives or some of the variants that could go against you, you don't really need to do it as frequently. And the times that you do need to do it, you don't always have the picks available right in that league. So from a portfolio standpoint, it works, but you really have to broaden your scope. And one thing I have noticed is, like I said, I've spent picks on filling in the QBs, especially a QB that I think can start multiple games. If you can buy that for a third round pick, you should do it, even if they're not that good. If it's one of those leagues where QB 20, QB 24-ish should be in a lineup, I have no problem saying I'll give up a third for Josh Dobbs if I'm going to get four starts. If I'm going to get three starts for Tyrod Taylor, it's worth it. And it may or may not work out, but I've noticed more likely that is where I've gone to make those deals. And I've also noticed more importantly, that is where the market has gone in terms of what people are willing to pay for. People are much more willing to buy the spot start QB, especially if they have the QB that got injured or Tyson Badgent, someone like that. People are willing to buy the QB more so than the running back. And one of the theories is, well, the running back scoring has flattened out so much, there's more running back bodies available that people are willing to play. Quarterbacks, there's still 32 teams. At any given week, there's some that are injured. Any given week, there's four, there's six teams that are on a bye. So there is a scarcity element. 
And it's interesting to see how that plays out over the next month, because one thing that's also going to be true is we're going to be in week nine. There's going to be quarterbacks out. There's going to be quarterbacks on buys. So there's probably going to be 10 to 12 QBs that have been disrupted on teams going into week nine. And that's probably going to last from week nine to week 12, just given that there's bye weeks all the way through for the next three weeks. And there's a bunch of injuries. But the key is how many teams are buyers? How many teams are now going to be two and six? And they go, man, I'm two and six, but I lost Matt Stafford. Does that team really want to give up draft capital to go buy a spot start QB when they probably have to go seven and seven, eight and six to make the playoffs? Do they really want to go spend money to fill in with Brett Rippon for a fourth round pick? I mean, sure, they can try. But the point is, you start to see the buyers fall off, too. As more teams emerge as contenders and some of the teams drop off, that number of dividing however many available QBs are on the week divided by the number of teams, it's not 12 anymore. It's more like seven, eight. And a couple of those don't need QBs. They have two or three. They have maybe three, and two of them have smashed. So you're going to see the market fall out a little bit. So this is really the sweet spot of being able to have these extra QBs available during this time. And part of the roster construction idea is rostering as many as I can. And it's just casting a wide net that A, I'm more likely to need to use one of them. And B, I'm more likely to be able to sell one of them, given how people are approaching the positions now, both running back and quarterback. So so that's a takeaway. That is going to be a primary focus of the new roster construction series. The real thing I'm trying to wrestle with is I think this is predictive going forward, meaning I think these number of QBs that kind of come out of nowhere and get spot starts, get starts due to injury, I don't think that's going to slow down. If anything, I think that's going to ramp up. You know, seeing guys like Taylor Heineke take over, seeing potentially guys like Jacoby Brissett take over. Like, I think that's always been in the cards. Sam Darnold taking over. Like, that possibly is always in the cards for about a quarter of the quarterback situations every single year, maybe a third. And then you combine that with more QBs this year that were drafted in the mid rounds, third round, fourth round, teams may be willing to go to those guys, especially if they don't like what they have or they don't like the financial situation that are in. I think we're going to end up seeing 50 plus, maybe even 60 QBs get starts this year. And that's valuable. So I think kind of shifting some of those extra spots from any running back on a 53 to both any running back on a 53 and any QB that could be active in general. Basically, any QB on a 53, or at least any backup QB, not quite on a 53, but any backup QB is worth a roster spot. And both, I think, were equally valuable in terms of playing the market and most likely most valuable to your team when you may have a need that pops up. Well, now that we are 34 minutes into the show, let's transition to talk about the Trinity score. And the Trinity tool that just went live on DestinationDevi.com this week. Click on Tools. You will see Trinity Tracker. And you can go through and filter through a bunch of stuff. You can search by player. You can search by team. You can filter through different sections that essentially come down to giving you the Trinity score, which I'll talk about that in just a second, against another metric. So you can see it on the X and Y axis. You can see points per game, so current year points per game. 
expected points per game, which is a cool metric that I think can really be useful when comparing players versus their Trinity score and their current production. Essentially, given the type of targets that they've gotten, what should they have scored? If you just take like average value of the type of target that they've gotten, what should they have scored? So it's a cool metric to kind of look for maybe some regression one way or the other. Trinity score versus war, looking at how much they've impacted your lineup. So you can look at war compared to the rest of the positions or the rest of the players. I think the really cool one is looking at Trinity score versus keep trade cut. Literally, what is their Trinity score versus their keep trade cut value? And keep trade cut, we know is updated and we know it's very reactionary and it actually makes sense. I used to say, you know what, keep trade cut wasn't real, but I think if you just translate the keep trade cut value as not the price, not the market price, but just the player opinion score, that is the pulse of what people are feeling on that player. Are they going up? Are they going down? And then of course, there's a floor of what they're going to cost in there. Now, obviously people will say, keep trade cut price. It may say it's worth a first, but really is it worth a first if it's a player that's trending upwards? There has to be motivation for somebody to sell. Same thing with the keep trade cut price and you go, there's no way I can sell that player for a first. And it's probably because there's just nobody buying. Talked about that over the last couple weeks to where the motivation to buy or sell or the demand of a specific player is huge. It's not just the price, but it's also what side is the player on in terms of current demand, current supply. Are there any teams selling that player? Is anyone buying that player? Both of those have to be true for a deal to get done. So I think keep trade cut is a good way to just kind of get a market pulse and the framework of the price of the player. That's it. Don't overthink it. But then when you compare that to Trinity, you can go, okay, I can find some clear gaps. It's almost kind of like looking at preseason dynasty ADP versus your season long projections and where those maybe go awry. And then obviously you have to do the evaluation of how much you value current production. Where do you want that type of player given your build? Uh, But the idea is you can look at these together and it can kind of give you a glimpse. I think the power, and this is how I have used the tool and I've only been privy to actually use the full tool for a couple days now. I was able to use it a little bit before that. I was able to get some stuff from Ray about you know, what it looked like and some of the data. He released some snapshots of the data. He did a bunch of videos. If you haven't checked out those videos, go to the Destination Devi YouTube page. Check out the Trinity videos. He's done a whole series talking about the Trinity week to week, going all the way back. Started like six weeks ago and just kind of went through the Trinity data and highlighted some results, highlighted some players. You may have already been on some players or sold some players because of those videos, but check them out. He does a good job of kind of going through how he got to putting this stuff together, how it was tested. And there's really high correlation with this. And I think that's the cool thing. And that's why this is a tool and not just data that's getting posted on the website. It's why it's a tool because we think there's a lot of value in being able to use these things in conjunction. So when somebody takes this tool, they look at it for the first time, we've got a lot of questions. Where do I start? What am I looking for? What matters? What doesn't matter? Well, the good thing is a lot of the stuff that doesn't matter is already filtered out. That's the whole point of the Trinity score is looking at things that matter. Target share, yak yards, air yards. Like how does the player get to the potential to earn fantasy points. It doesn't mean they're going to earn fantasy points. Ray talked about this the other day, that fantasy points 
are not directly correlated with the Trinity score. It doesn't mean high Trinity score means you're going to score the most fantasy points. It basically means those players are putting themselves in the best position to score fantasy points. And then there's context that you have to put into place to say, okay, is the situation that they're in conjunctive with this being a good player that should be able to produce fantasy points close to what their Trinity score says. So obviously a player that has a nine Trinity score, they're doing almost everything they can do to earn fantasy points. But then there are players where you go, well, I'm probably not going to bet on that guy earning as many fantasy points as the other receivers that have a nine plus Trinity score. Well, because of their situation. One example of that coming into this week If you look at highest Trinity scores coming into this week, one guy that was up there above eight was actually 16th in Trinity score coming into this week was DeAndre Hopkins, 8.12. But then you look at what he was actually producing, and then you look at his expected fantasy points per game, he was well below what his expected fantasy points should have been versus what he was actually producing. He was negative 3.9, which basically means he was not producing what the target volume or what the quality of targets and the target volume that he was getting said he should have been producing with what he was earning from a Trinity standpoint. So even though he had an 8 Trinity score, you would have gone, damn, this guy's almost 4 points below what he should be producing. And I think a lot of that could be chalked up to the fact that his quarterback situation is bad. His offense is bad. Again, the overall volume of plays or volume opportunity may be lower. Like all of those things can create a higher Trinity score because a player can stand out amongst his peers and amongst the league. But then you actually look at the situation, you go, that's not going to score a lot of fantasy points. But then, of course, he goes out today and has a monster game. Now, does that continue? I don't know. But if you were willing to go, you know what? He had a good Trinity score. I'm going to buy. Because you could have bought his keep trade price coming into this week. It was below a second round pick. That doesn't mean you would have been able to get him for a third. But if you would have been out there offering late 25 seconds for DeAndre Hopkins, you could have bought him this week. You could have got him. A lot of people were going, man, this is only going to get worse. He's not really producing. Like, he's producing less than 14 points per game. He's really not helping me all that much. He's old, and his situation is declining. And then, boom, he goes out today, posts 30-plus points. Is he back? I don't know. Can you sell him for more than what you could have sold him for last week? Maybe. I think the biggest key is if you followed the Trinity score, guess what? You can probably now sell him. And that's how I'm going to be using this. That's the first thing I'm going to be using is going to the Trinity score by itself and just looking at where do the players rank amongst their peers. So let's just pretend, and I'm going to look at everything before week eight. So it's not updated through week eight yet. But if you just look at the players before week eight that had a Trinity score above seven, And then you go and you take those players. And one cool thing about this tool is you can export it to Excel if you want. If you don't want to filter it on the site, if you also want to pull it up on an Excel sheet, you can filter the data, you can export it to Excel, and you can filter it there yourself. But if you just filtered by the players that were above 7 Trinity score before this week, you had 27 wide receivers that qualified. And a lot of them, if I read off the names, you would go, yep, that name makes sense, that name makes sense. Largely... They're the who's who of Dynasty receivers. There are some ones in there that are a little surprising. There's ones that are a little higher and ones that are a little bit lower. But for the most part, all the names are the ones that you would expect that are above seven. That's not shocking. 
that's not going to be groundbreaking when you look at the Trinity scores and you go, wow, all those players are above six or all those players are above seven. All that is is really just showing what are those receivers doing on their own to create their environment where they can score fantasy points. But then if you take those players and you filter them by the cheapest keep trade cut value, so of those 27, the guys that had the cheapest keep trade cut value, number one on the list was DeAndre Hopkins. Above DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, no way. Out for the season, still above Mike Williams. Now, he did have a Trinity score over seven, so he shows up in the sample size, but the keep trade cut value was higher for Mike Williams. And then you get somebody like Adam Thielen, which was 700 points higher than Hopkins. But really what you can do is you can look at, okay, where are some potential guys that I can buy in this range? Now, I will say this, one thing to be careful of. If you're going to say, okay, who are the good Trinity players, but then who can I buy at the cheapest price if you're just use keep trade cut? Who can I buy at the cheapest price? You're going to see names you recognize. Names like Hopkins, Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper, Jacoby Myers, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen. And we'll exclude Keenan Allen because he was probably a tier above all those other guys from keep trade cut price value before this week. But all those other guys, under 4,000 points in KTC, which means you should be able to buy all of them for a second. Now, one thing that I've noticed is when you're using tools like this, And this is where you go back to the keep trade cut quote unquote value versus the supply and the demand and the motivation of the trader using a tool like this. Because you can go, okay, I'm going to filter by Trinity score. I'm going to filter by keep trade cut value. And then I'm going to go tack the guys that I should be able to go and buy without having to give up a first round pick until you go to the manager that has Amari Cooper. Hey, I'll buy for a second. No, I'm good. Jacoby Myers, hey, I'll buy him for a second. No, nah, I'm good. Especially if that's another contending team. They're looking at that price as the reserve hasn't been met. That 3,800 KTC value that is on Jacoby Myers, the reserve hasn't been met because you're trying to buy him from a team that is using him for the same reason that you want to go buy him. They're already using him for that exact same reason. So you have to pay a tax. So you have to keep that in mind. And the same goes when you're going the other way. And this is, I think, the first way to really go and attack something like the Trinity. And it's not always going to work because of what I'm actually just talking about right now. But the way to attract this is go, okay, I'm going to filter by the worst Trinity scores. So as of week seven, through week seven, we had 92 receivers that actually had a calculated Trinity score. So we're going to go to the bottom. And this is, I think, a even better way, especially if you have a active league and a contending team, I think what you can do is you can actually go out there and look at the very, very bottom of the Trinity. And I'm going to just read off the guys at the bottom. None of them are relevant. But I think the key is to then go to the players that are in the range where you go, I'm going to fade these guys because of their Trinity score, which one of them actually has dynasty value. And I think that's the biggest key when you're looking at the guys that have low Trinity scores. It's not hey, these players are bad, it is which one of these players are A, not roster cloggers, in the sense of they have dynasty value. Most of the guys in this range are roster cloggers. Van Jefferson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Allen Robinson, Sky Moore, Rondale Moore, Van Jefferson, Kadarius Toney, Paris Campbell. I'm just naming off roster cloggers, right? But I probably named off a couple players in there where you go, okay, wow, those guys actually have a little dynasty value. 
So here's an experiment that I'm going to pull all of the wide receivers before this week that have a Trinity score below four. And I'm just picking an arbitrary number. So Trinity score below four. But then I'm going to sort those players by the highest KTC value of the group. And there's a couple on there where you go, all right, I'm probably not going to sell that player. There's a small sample size. And let me just caveat the small sample size thing. When you see Trinity scores for rookies and they've only played five games or they've only really been involved for a couple weeks, like I'm willing to fade that just based on sample size. But when I go and I look at players that are low, that have been in the league for two or three years, I can actually go back and historically look at their prior Trinity scores. I think that's another cool thing about the feature is pull up the Excel sheet, export it to a cell, and then if you have a question about somebody that's in their third year, you can actually go search their name and it'll pull up all of their metrics for the last couple years. So you can really go in there and confirm and go, okay, Elijah Moore, and I'm pulling all the guys through week seven that have a Trinity score that is below four. So one of the names that pops up is Elijah Moore. And everyone knows I was not a big Elijah Moore fan. His numbers last year were piss poor. The team that drafted him gave up on him. We assumed his situation might be able to carry him a little bit above what he's capable of himself with Deshaun Watson, and that hasn't been the case. So right now, Elijah Moore has a low Trinity score. And then I look back and I'm going to look at his Trinity score for the last couple years because I think that's key. Because even if you go, well, things haven't been great for him this year. Again, this is a measure on what he's capable of on his own. And then you look at his Trinity score in 2021. It was still only 6.96. So yeah, it was okay. But it's not like it was in a range where, man, it is almost a guy that I can't move. And then you go, last year? And the year after that, it has steadily declined to the point where now you're going, okay, I probably am pretty confident that Elijah Moore, maybe he's a little bit better than what he has right now this year, 3.87. But he's probably a guy that slots in there between three and a half to six, three and a half to five and a half. And when you look at those players, the key is you look at the players, especially if you have questions about a player more than just one year. If you go back and it's been consistently in that range, and then you sort by those players and you go, what are the KTC values there? These are the liquidation candidates. This is going to be the first thing that I do this week is I'm going to go through, I'm going to look at the historical Trinity data for any of these guys that are not rookies, and then I'm going to decide, you know what? These are names that because they have a little value, they're just worth liquidating. They're just worth moving for anything of value. Think of some of these names on here as they are just future draft capital. If I can turn them into two-thirds, if I can turn a guy on this list into a second-round pick, that's a huge win. If I can turn most of them into a third, that's a win. If I can buy a spot-start running back or a spot-start quarterback, if you're losing a quarterback, if you've had a couple quarterback injuries and you're looking for ways to find a quarterback, go to this list. Use the Trinity tool for that way to go and maybe find something that you can add to a deal to get something done. And it may be easier said than done, but you go to this list and I'm just going to sort by the guys at the very top is Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's one you're obviously going to go, well, that's chalked up to a smaller sample size. I'm not going to just go auto sell him. But then below that, guess who tops the list of the most valuable, according to Keep Trade Cut, player that is below a four Trinity score but has the highest keep trade cut value, and it's Jahan Dotson, 2.43 Trinity score. Now, he had a good game today. 
That's probably going to go up a little bit. It'll be curious to see what his is after eight weeks. But his KTC value is 3401. I bet you that goes up a little bit after this week. You can get out on Jahan Dotson. You can trade him. You can liquidate him. You might even be able to tear off of him for a second and another receiver. And really, the only thing you're getting with the other receiver is essentially another mechanism to trade somebody else away with that receiver. So if you can get a spot start running back in a second, anything like that, I think it's possible. Then there's a couple rookies, Jonathan Mingo and Michael Wilson. Then the next guy up after those rookies, Rashid Shahid. Rashid Shahid, another guy that had a big game today. Three for 153 and a touchdown today on three targets. So his Trinity score is not going to go up that much. I will bet that. It probably doesn't go up much, but his KTC value may go up a little bit. And because he's had a big game, just like Jahan Dotson, you'll be able to sell him. So that's another one that you throw up there. Elijah Moore, Wandale Robinson, Tutu Atwell, Curtis Samuel, Rashad Bateman, Sky Moore. I'm going down the lines of the guys that are valued above like 2,000 points in KTC. All of those names right there. K.J. Osborne's in there. That's one where it's probably going to be gone now that Kirk Cousins is out. A little bit lower, guys like Kadarius Toney, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, DJ Chark. There's some names on there. There's some names where people will go, you know, I'll give you a third for that guy. I'll give you a third for Tyler Boyd. I'll give you a third for Brandon Cooks. I'll give you a third for Michael Gallup. But really, their Trinity score says they're really just roster cloggers. But because they have some market value... Look at them as liquidation pieces. Look at those types of players, especially if you're going to employ the strategy that I've been talking about all episode, rostering more running backs and more quarterbacks. What's got to get dialed in? What's got to give you boom or bust and high-end production? It's going to be wide receiver. So I really, again, am going to go even more extreme by not wanting to carry a lot of these guys on my roster. So that's how I'm going to navigate the Trinity right off the rip. I'm looking at the top. I'm looking at the bottom. And I'm looking at the bottom for the liquidation candidates, and I'm looking at the top of who can I maybe buy based on the fact that they have a high Trinity score. Easier said than done. Because when you're talking about the guys at the top, if you want to buy them, you have to have a motivated seller, right? The guys at the bottom, you have to have a motivated buyer. And that's why focusing on the guys that are still low Trinity, but higher KTC value. And when I say higher, that doesn't mean you can get a haul. It means you can trade them. Wandale Robinson has a KTC value of 26.28. Guess what? It means you can trade him. Are you going to get a second? No. Can you get a third? Yep. What can I do with the third? I don't know. But the idea is the Trinity data is saying it doesn't matter. I'd rather have the liquidation of the third. So that's going to be how I'm going to focus using it. It's going to be basically a way for me to identify roster cloggers put names to paper, put data to the names, and say, you know what, that's an easy way for me to identify them. No more subjectivity of, well, I like this guy's profile. I like this guy's quarterback situation. You know, the next iteration of Trinity could be using pass efficiency and using some of the offensive concepts to apply that to some of the Trinity data and go, how does that sway it from one scenario to another? But that's going to be coming in the future. But for now, I'm wanting to look at What does Trinity tell me about what the receiver is earning on its own and then apply the context, both of the offenses that the players are in, but also the current dynasty market. And then finally, the third thing to look at with the Trinity datum is even if you're going to find players, regardless of their Trinity score, I've already kind of highlighted on the extremes of the top and of the bottom, but let's say I'm looking in the middle. 
So again, let's say I'm fishing in the middle. I'm not saying these players are horrible, but I'm also not saying these players are elite based on their Trinity scores. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull all the players that are in the middle. So I'm going to pull the guys right now that are between four and six. So everybody that coming into this week was between four and six. And that represents, if I'm looking at the number correctly, that represents 21 different receivers that fit this criteria coming into the week. So what do those 21 have in common? And one thing that I noticed when looking at this sample size is they are all over the map. So looking at the names, we'll start at the very top. Kendrick Bourne, Jerry Judy, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Lockett, Drake London, Debo Samuel, Tank Dell, Jordan Addison, Josh Palmer, Josh Downs, Devontae Smith, Romeo Dobbs, T. Higgins, Cortland Sutton, Josh Reynolds, Jaden Reed, Gabe Davis, Rasheed Rice, Michael Thomas, Robert Woods, and Demario Douglas. Now, I mentioned a lot of names in there. I mentioned some names where you go, damn, that guy's really valuable in Dynasty. I mentioned a couple other names where you go, I'm shocked those players were mentioned in the same breath as each other. So you sort that sample by the highest KTC value players. And obviously you get guys like Jordan Addison, Devontae Smith, Drake London, T. Higgins. Those guys are at the very top, almost a tier above everybody else. Those four. In KTC, those guys are all worth a first round pick, if not a first round pick plus. All four of them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look in this range, and clearly those guys have underperformed, right? Again, Addison, Smitty, Drake London, T. Higgins. All four of those guys have underperformed. So I want to go to the next metric. And for all of those guys except for Addison, I have at least another year worth of a sample. And then for Higgins and for Devontae Smith, I have two years. And then you look at the Trinity for those guys in the last couple years, and you go, well, you know, their Trinity score has actually been basically seven and above for the first two years of their career. So I can look at their 5.26 for Smith and 5.12 for Higgins and go, those guys are probably in the tier above. They're not elite. They're not going to be in the mid to high eights or nines, but they're probably going to be high sixes, low sevens. Good players. Players that probably are worth first round picks. Now, do I want to spend every first round pick on a guy like that? No. But when you look at those guys, you go, okay, I know they're better than what their current Trinity score says, but what ones do I want? How do I decipher them? Obviously, I can play the market, but let's just assume I could get any of those guys for a random future first. And maybe Jordan Addison, you might be able to do that now. He's probably fallen with the cousin injury. But let's say I can get all those guys for a random first, mid first next year. Which one do I want? So then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at, okay, what are their expected points per game? And that's where this metric I think I'm going to use the most is looking at their expected points per game and where do they kind of fit in in terms of what they could be doing versus what they are doing. And if you look at those guys specifically, so those four, you have Jordan Addison at expected points per game of 11.5, Devontae Smith 12.2, Drake London at 12.8, and T. Higgins at 13.7. So right there, it's saying of the four, T. Higgins is expected to score the most points of the four. Now, if you look at fantasy points over or under expected, he leads the entire league at negative 5.5. So he's only putting up 8.8 points per game, and he actually had an okay game today. But he's only putting up 8.8 points per game, and he should be at 13.7. So that's basically saying that what he's doing and the targets that he's getting, he should be scoring more than he is. 
And I think that's the key. You look at Jordan Addison in this range, he's actually 3.5 above what he should be. So I don't want to use the word regression. I think using words like regression, up or down, is not correct when you're looking at expected points per game and you're looking at their actual fantasy production. Because there's only so much of that that a player can control. And you have to apply some context to, okay, what is the current situation for Jordan Addison versus T. Higgins? What are their current situations after this week? Because I guarantee you, you look at that KTC value and go, could you trade Jordan Addison for T. Higgins? I bet you after this week, you couldn't. Now, maybe you could, but this would be the way to say, okay, I can justify making that deal regardless of what happened with Jordan Addison's quarterback. I could justify making that deal based on this data that I'm looking at, especially if you can pivot and especially if you can get a plus on the side where you're getting the player. And I think that's how I'm going to use the mid-tier of the Trinity score. It's going to help you identify, because these are all players, most of the players in this mid-range are not roster cloggers. Then when you sort them by their market value, they're clearly not roster cloggers. They're players that you could sell. So you have to really break that tie first. Hey, there's players that are above the kind of bad range in a Trinity score. So let's call it over four. Which one of those guys do I still want to sell based on their market value? Because it's not going to kill you to trade away a guy that has a five Trinity score, especially if historically he's going to be in the five or six range. You know, so a guy like Higgins, a guy like Devontae Smith, they've been up in the sevens. Higgins was 8.67 a couple years ago. So it's like, he's actually been not elite, but very close to it. So the idea that you're just going to liquidate those guys, I think is a little bit of a fallacy. But once you've identified this range and what you want to do with them, this is where you really have to be creative and apply some context and go, this is the range where I'm going to be pivoting up, pivoting down. Are there players in this range because of what I was talking about with Higgins, where you're willing to tier down from a higher end player with a higher Trinity score, but also a higher market value, looking at something like the expected points above the actual production that that person is giving you. So for instance, Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle had a good game today. Jalen Waddle's Trinity score coming into today, 6.74. Jalen Waddle's expected fantasy points coming into today, 14.2 only 0.4 above T. Higgins. Now, I wouldn't say their market is drastically different, but I bet you after this week, there is a plus, there is a deal that could be had. So it's really just where do you want to bet on in this range? And I think that is going to be my trifecta that I am going to be using the most frequently with this tool. Trinity score, making sure I have enough of a sample size so I don't want to just write off a rookie because they only have five or six games and I don't want to anoint a rookie just because they have a couple games. I do think rookies that are already up in the elite range on a small sample size, that's probably a better signal than the guys that are at the bottom. But the idea being that once I have enough of a sample size and I've gone back and I've looked at the Trinity scores for these players the past couple years, that is my best gauge on what is their ability, which way are they trending, is it up or down, is there some context to maybe why I'm not willing to write them off because they have a lower Trinity score now than they did last year and then a little bit lower than the year before? So do your homework, but then go in there and go, which way can I go up and down? And I think that's why using the Trinity score as the base and then filtering that by what's their market price. So what is their KTC value? 
and then looking at that expected points number and really like triangulating those three metrics and go, how do I play the wide receiver position? And then now that you have this tool, think about what this allows you to do, especially if you have grasps on how you want to roster construct in your league. You basically have the roadmap now of how to manipulate the wide receiver rooms on your teams when you know you want a certain construction. Hey, on this team, I want to try to get six core receivers. Now, there might not be situations where you have six. There might be a place where you need to go add another one. Who do I buy? What do I pay? How much risk am I willing to take? There might be a situation where you have too many receivers, and the best player on the draft board next year is a receiver. So you're looking at your construction going, okay, who on this list is the best one to tear off of? And you kind of have to look at the KTC price at that point, and which one can I most likely move off of? You have to apply some intuition here. This isn't going to give you a roadmap of exactly what to do, but it's giving you the data in one place where you can triangulate it all, and you can go, tell me a little bit about this guy's profile. And it's not just the Trinity score. It's not just some of the stuff that we hear cited, yards per route run, market share, air yard share, all those things. It's really then taking the component of their market price, but also like where could they go based on the expected points model? And where have they been in the past based on how they've produced in the past, how they're producing right now? So I think using those three things in conjunction is the key and just having an understanding of how that fits in with your roster construction is huge because there's going to be times where you need to go create value. And this is the most common question. And I'm going to wrap up with this point. This is the most common question we get from a lot of people that ask trade questions on trades in five. For instance, they will say, here's my roster. I'm four and four. They have some assets, but they're also not in a great shape to win. Traded away my 2024 first. I'm four and four. It looks like a middling roster. Looks like a fifth to eighth place roster. What do I do? And this is a great way to take a position. And the reason it's hitting hard at the best time, and I'll give a shout out to Ray for this, this tool couldn't come at a better time because we are in a wide receiver bull market. That is what people want. When people look to reboot their team, what do they want? Wide receivers. Young wide receivers. What do people want if they're trying to win? Producing wide receivers. Sure, you'll take running backs. You'll take a quarterback here or there. But with the quarterback scoring being really flat this year, with everyone kind of playing the running back attrition game, where do I look for production? Wide receivers. So it's just a dominant wide receiver market. So now having a tool like this that allows me to go into that market and navigate it, navigate it with some context, navigate it with some intuition, but really be able to say with data, this is why I'm doing this. No longer is it a guessing game. No longer is it, well, Terry McLaurin's wide receiver 41, Marquise Brown is wide receiver 49. What's the difference? And a lot of times people will say there is no difference. It's just opinion. Well, this gives you a little bit of a deeper ability to go and go spot. Okay, maybe there is a difference. And then you apply the context of the way the market's trending, their situation, etc. Boom, you have a way to navigate the wide receiver land. And that can include, when you get towards the end of the year, who to liquidate, who to cut, who is just a waste of a roster spot. Who would I rather dump for a third now? Who would I rather dump for a fourth? Who would I sell after a big week? I think it's huge to go be able to have data to say, 
this is the reason I should do it. And I'll just say this last thing. If you're going to use this, be the one that gets deals done. I talked about it the last couple weeks. Be the one that's reasonable. If your goal is to liquidate a guy that had a big game that has a low Trinity score, be confident in the process. Don't go and try to gouge. Don't go and go, well, that guy had 22 points this week. He's now worth 20% above his KTC score. That's not what's going to get the deal done. The goal is to get the deal done. The goal is to continue to push your assets forward in the direction that you want to go, whether that's buy or sell. But use a tool like this to give you confidence in making that deal. Oh, cool. I sold that guy at his KTC price because I was looking at the Trinity score. I know he had a decent game this week. I sold him for his KTC price. Perfect. You didn't have to try to gouge. You didn't have to go, well, dude, he just had a spike week. I'm going to need that extra third. Can't sell for a second. Cortland Sutton had a touchdown. Could get traded this week. I'm, you know, I can't move him for a second. I'm going to need a third on top of it. Don't be that guy. Sell for prices that you know are moving the direction that you want to go, moving your roster in the direction that you want to go. Get deals done. That's why we make these tools. It's not so you can go out there and go, ah, I just can't sell that guy. I really like him. When the data says, hey, this is a perfectly reasonable offer to make, and the data is saying it's a perfect candidate to liquidate. So that's that. More to come on the Trinity tool for sure. I'm going to keep diving into it. I'm going to go try to find some leagues where I think I can get some of this done in terms of making pivot moves, maybe buying, maybe selling. And I'm going to use this tool and report back. And I'm sure we'll do more content on it. There will be tons of discussions over the next couple weeks in the Discord, in the Heisman voice chat, in the AMAs, talking about the Trinity and how people are using it. I don't know all the answers. Ray has even more answers than me, but Ray doesn't have all the answers. Ray created the tool. It was kind of his brainchild, but really, I don't think he even knows how it can be fully used to its max capacity. So we're leveraging a lot of the listeners, a lot of the subscribers to the website. More importantly, a lot of the content creators on DD. I'll shout out all the content creators on DD, whether you are a writer, whether you are a podcaster, whether you're one of the Discord presenters or persons that's making content in the Discord. Use the tool and think of ways where it's actionable to you and talk about it. We make these tools not just for the subscribers, but for everybody to make content off of. So use them. I want to hear how everybody else is using this. And maybe I even disagree, but I want to hear the process behind it. And I think Ray would agree with that. And I won't speak for him, but I'm almost betting he would say, hey, I don't want to just be making videos when he does his weekly Trinity video on YouTube to tell everybody who to go buy and sell. He'll mention names, he'll mention players that are trending up or trending down, and he'll give opinions on maybe some actionable things that you could do. But this isn't just go buy, go sell. That's not what this tool is. It is to help people make decisions on their own and then walk others in the community how they arrived at that conclusion. So that's what I want to see out of this. I challenge all the other creators and a lot of the listeners to put your ideas out there. Try them. Report back. Report back on X. Report back in the Discord. Let me know how it goes. I'm very curious the future of a tool like this, especially as we get into the offseason and people kind of wonder. Points aren't being scored. The market starts to regulate a little bit, and we're back to more just true player evaluation. So that should be interesting. As always, check out the tool, Trinity Tracker at DestinationDevi.com. Check out all the podcasts that we have on the feed, the Destination Devi radio feed, the Wake Up with Ray G and Jay Rich feed. Subscribe to both. 
And then also if you sign up at destinationdevy.com or you sign up at patreon.com backslash all gas for the trades in five tier, you will get access to the premium feed that has extra content coming every single week. We will be back tomorrow. It may be a late start for trades in five due to it being trick or treat night. So we may start a little bit later. I believe 9 p.m. Eastern is when we are going to kick off Halloween night. Tuesday night, going to be a lot of discussion about the injury fallout and what to do now that we have a bunch of bye weeks coming up. Wednesday, Destination Chill at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Back in the Discord, I'm sure there will be some Trinity talk. There will be some actionable talk about what to do heading into week nine. And then following that, there will be a Discord AMA. And the guest this week will be Gene. Gene of the Off the Line podcast. Gene with our weekly sit-start article. It'll be interesting. We don't hear from Gene a lot outside of Off the Line and his weekly article. And then if you're in Heisman voice chat, you hear from Gene every once in a while. But it'll be interesting to hear from Gene on the AMA. So looking forward to that. That'll be November 1st following Destination Chill. And with that, anybody that has matchups heading into Monday night, good luck with those. Good luck with the rest of week eight, and we live to see another week. We survive on to week nine. I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill.